Great singing there, thank you very much. And let us turn our eyes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. If you want to turn with me to what our Lord did there. Now, our passage today has two unnamed disciples. One is called a scribe, and another is just another of the disciples. And both think hard about following the Lord, but both seem to turn back and are never heard from again. I just want to read the end of our section. We'll come back to this, but let's just read it in advance Uh, from uh, verse 18. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, the other side of the lake. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this chapter is all about following the Lord. And we see that actually straight away from verse 1, from chapter 8, verse 1. Great crowds followed him. Uh, But then the passage we just looked at in verse 18, it says that the Lord Jesus, whenever the Lord Jesus saw a crowd, he gets in a boat to escape to the other side of the lake. Now, why did he do that? I just want to think, before we begin to read the whole section, why did he go to the other side of the lake? And it's because the Lord Jesus wasn't interested in entertaining big crowds. He had come to make disciples. That's really the theme of Matthew's gospel, how the Lord Jesus makes disciples. And disciples means followers. So this decision where the Lord Jesus gets in the boat to go to the other side, he's going to force everybody in that crowd to decide, do I get in or go home? (laughs) Get in the boat or go home to my bed? Everybody has to decide. And, And including these two, They have to make up their minds. Are they going to go with Jesus on wherever he's going? Or are they going to give up and go back home with the crowd? And this is a great illustration right here of what we have to do to become a Christian. Risk it all. We have to entrust our whole selves to the Lord Jesus. And that's the same decision he asked all of us here tonight to make, to get in the boat. Risk to leave the comfort of the shore and get in with it. Where's it going to lead? Nobody knows. But he kind of makes all of us face that same decision. And, and these, two, these two men, they were very sincere. The scribe, actually, he publicly states his intention to follow the Lord unconditionally. I will follow you wherever you go, Lord. But then the Lord warns him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is telling him up front, even the animals have a home to go to, but 
If you follow me, we are going to be on the move. No, no fixed abode. And the scribe seems to decide to go home. Because these scribes, they were often theoreticians. They were theorists. You know, they, they, they loved the theory of the Bible. They knew a lot about the Bible. This man, this scribe, had probably copied out many passages of the Old Testament about loving the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he agreed with that in theory, but he didn't like the sound of this reality. And I can understand how many of us are like that. We, we handed our life over to the Lord, in theory, back in 1983 or whenever it was for you, right? We said, Lord, we will follow you wherever you go. But we know, we, we know what kind of sacrifices our passages like this are calling us to in theory. We know we're meant to put our Lord above home comforts in theory, but in reality, we just like this scribe, we often turn back instead of getting in the boat, we go home. And this other disciple, he asked for permission to first go and bury my father. Perhaps his father was close to death and he wanted to get all that cleared up, but the Lord says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, he means leave the spiritually dead to do that. that. That job doesn't require a Christian. Someone else in your family can look after that. There are others in his family who could take care of it. If, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to prioritize the spiritual and put the Lord above even your family. Now, now, do not think the Lord is being unnecessarily cruel as if he won't let the poor guy go to his dad's funeral. This passage must be balanced by many other passages where our Lord makes it clear we have many responsibilities at home, important home responsibilities. But in this case, the Lord detects in this man the wrong priority. He was prioritizing his family over his Lord, the kingdom of home over the kingdom of God. And perhaps some here know how that feels as well. They know they should more fully follow the Lord, but perhaps that wouldn't go so well down with your family. And the Lord is saying, follow me, put me first. Not because he is harsh, because it's the only way you'll be of any help spiritually to your family or to anybody else. <laughs> it's the only way. So the Lord's mission was all important and it required disciples who understood the primary importance of the spiritual over everything else in life, including the family. So this man was like a surgeon who gets distracted tidying up the wards whenever there needs to be, you know, there's medical emergencies that requires emergency surgery. So other people can tidy up the wards. Your job is to do this surgery. And that's what the Lord is saying. If you're going to be one of my disciples, you've got to learn what the priority here is in our mission in life. Our calling is to something higher. And again, we have to ask ourselves, what proportion of our life is devoted to higher spiritual things? What percentage of our tasks that we do every day could be done equally well by an unbeliever? Have a think even about the past week. How do we spend our time, our energy, our money? Any difference between us and a good living pagan? Now, now you may protest rightly that there is so much we have to do. We've got responsibilities in work, in home, and in our studies, and that's fair, but... 
We here are Christians should always seek to prioritize the spiritual as far as possible. The Lord calls us to give up many of the normal activities of life in order to make time for these higher things if we are going to be one of his disciples. So, so right up front, we can see that many of us are maybe more like these two guys than we like to think. So what will give us the courage? This is, this is what we want to think about. Just before we read the passage in its fullness, what will give us the courage to get in the boat, right? To risk everything. Get in with this man and say, okay, I will go wherever you want me to go, to go on an adventure with the Lord. And the other theme that Matthew has here, very clearly in this section, is Christ's authority. Matthew knows the only way that we will risk all with this man is if we believe that he has all power, the authority to handle everything that will come our way. We'll get in the boat if we are convinced that Jesus loves us and can look after us more than anybody else, even our families. So Matthew introduces these two themes. One is following our Lord, and the other is our Lord's authority, power. And the two go hand in hand, because we will only follow when we come to see his authority. Do you see the point? So this, this, this actually starts right here in chapter 7. We just want to go back a couple of verses into chapter 7 and verse 28. And we'll see that these two themes, look out for these two themes as we read this section. The, the theme of following our Lord and the theme of Christ's authority or power. Okay? So let's read from chapter 7 verse 28 right through to chapter 8 verse 22. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. And my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the utter dark darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and 
bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So we can see even at the, how this begins, the Lord's teaching had real authority. It was not theoretical discussions like the scribes, discussions about God where everybody had a good debate and then went home for dinner. The Lord had come to shake up people's whole lives with this teaching, right? And his authority extended beyond this teaching into every other area of life. After the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down and the first person the Lord meets is an ostracized leper. And this leper risks everything to come into the crowd to see Jesus. He must really have believed that the Lord had the power to heal him. You know, or the crowd, because, because if he didn't get healed, the crowd would have stoned him to death for defiling everybody and touching them. And that's exactly what the Lord does, what Jesus does. He reaches out and deliberately touches him and cleanses him. Then Jesus sent him to the Jewish priests as proof that he had not come to set himself up as a rival authority to the priests, but as a complementary authority beyond the priests. They could pronounce lepers clean, he could make them clean. And then a Roman centurion appeals in a similar way for Jesus to come and heal his servant. And Jesus agrees, and he's about to go to the centurion's home, when remarkably the centurion stops him by protesting and says, I am not worthy for you to come to my home. You see, the centurion realizes that Jesus doesn't need to come. He has such authority over sickness that he can just say the word and the sickness will go away. And the centurion figured this out by comparing, by thinking of himself compared to Christ. He says, I'm a man of authority. I have a certain amount of power and authority. Roman centurions could order their men to do whatever they wished because they had the full authority of the Roman empire behind their commands. But this centurion had come to realize his limits. He could, do, he could no longer order this servant of his to do anything because the servant was too ill. So he needed someone with far greater authority than himself. He needed someone not with the authority of Rome, but with the authority of heaven to heal this man. And Jesus is astonished that this foreigner, a Roman, understood the greatness of his authority more than any of the Jews, and he was delighted to fulfill his request, heal his servant at the very moment that Jesus says, go, let it be done. It was done. Then the Lord comes to Peter's house and Peter's wife maybe wasn't overly delighted with this because with Peter bringing home all Jesus and all his, the other disciples because her own mother was dying with a fever and she may well, I think, have called Peter aside for a quiet word at this point. And again, we see this tension, you know, between home responsibilities and Peter's new calling to follow the Lord. But the Lord does more than ease the tension in Peter's marriage. He actually heals his mother-in-law and she immediately arose and helped serve the guests. 
And finally then, there is a short summary where it describes the Lord casting out demons simply with a word and healing all who came, which Matthew recognizes as a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So you see what Matthew is doing? He is showing us that Jesus has authority over all the circumstances of life, over sin and defilement, over weakness, over disease, over fever, over our worries, our stresses in the home. And this is what will give us the courage to get in the boat, to take the risk, to open up our lives to the Lord more fully. If we are convinced of two things, his power and his love, we need to know that if we allow Jesus to lead us wherever he wants, we will never then face a situation that he can't handle. We might you know, face things that we can't handle, but he will be with us. If we've got in the boat, he's there. He knows where we can struggle to cope with life as it is, but yet he calls us to obey him fully, to follow me. Promising that if we do, we will find a power that we don't have in ourselves. He says, you know, this shows us that he has more power than the priests, a far higher authority than the centurion, and real compassion for the problems that was facing Peter's wife. You know, the Lord would eventually call Peter's wife to leave her home and follow her husband Peter all around the Roman Empire preaching the good news. We know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. She left her home and went all around the world. I don't know what all issues and difficulties she faced. That was later, but just now the Lord was giving her a taste of his love and his authority for her personally to help build up her faith for when the time came for that greater call. And many of us, to be honest, are somewhat overwhelmed by life as it is. We don't often experience Christ's power to support us, perhaps because we have never really left the shore. We've never really got into the boat. We've never really let Christ take us from the comfort of home. Never really taken any risks. We have prioritized our own comfort and security, and ironically, both of these things elude us in the process. And maybe like these people, we should come to the Lord and let him take our illnesses and diseases as Isaiah promised just here. Perhaps if we start to obey wherever Jesus is calling us to do, you know, for his kingdom, we would start to experience more of his strength and power, his help and enablement, like this leper, like the centurion, like Peter's wife. But it is genuinely hard. It's genuinely hard to believe that Jesus will look after us if we fully obey him. I can understand why these two men went home. So how can we, even today, take a small step in that direction? And the centurion here is a great example. The Lord actually holds up this centurion. Did you notice that in this passage as an example for all of us of how to grow in faith, in our, in our trust in Jesus? Because that's what this gets down to. You see, this centurion, he obviously knew of Jesus. He knew that Jesus had power over disease. But all of that got him thinking about just what sort of power this man really has. You know, if he can heal disease, then he must 
have God backing him up. And if that's true, this man is the greatest man who's ever walked this earth, and I'm not even worthy to host him in my house. Plus, he doesn't even need to come here because he can invoke the powers of heaven with a word. It's not truly amazing what, a, what conclusions a little thoughtful meditation can bring. And that's exactly what Jesus is encouraging us to do through this man's example. Faith is not magic. Our faith is built up when we think on the word of God. That's how this works. And right through this passage, Jesus is encouraging people to think about the implications of who he is. Remember, whenever he healed the leper, he sent him back to the Jewish priests as a, as a witness, as a testimony to them. He was trying to get those priests thinking. Can you imagine whenever this leper turned up, healed from his leprosy? These priests, they had never come across this in their life. Right? <laughs> you know, they, they had maybe pronounced a lot of people were lepers. They had never, ever come across someone actually healed from their leprosy. And, and, and as they're frantically looking through the instructions in Leviticus that Moses gave about what to do with the heat labor, they had, they had never done it before, then, then they were to ask this man, sorry, sorry, who did this to you? So Jesus is trying to get these, <laughs> these priests to think. If he can do that, who is this? And if we want to grow in faith, we, we, we begin with some careful thought. We will come to, the, and if we do, we'll come to the same conclusions as this centurion. This man has greater love and greater power than anybody else who has ever walked this earth. And that's what will give us the courage to get in the boat and set off on whatever adventure he has for us. You know, Jesus does not make life more comfortable. In fact, you know, these men that got in the boat, they're about to face a storm, as you will see here next week if you come, next Sunday evening. This storm will, will make them fear for their very lives, but once again, Jesus will demonstrate his power right there in the midst of the storm. His, this time, his authority over nature by miraculously calming the storm, and his disciples will come to realize his greatness extends way beyond their current understanding. But the others who didn't get in the boat will never see that. <laughs> Do you see the point? So let's come back to our two friends we met at the beginning. We never hear from them again. We never even get to know their names. It seems they both went home. They missed out on the adventure of a lifetime. And we're about to go home as well. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a world of difference between Peter going home with Jesus and these two going home without Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus challenges us all to give up our home comforts. Not that we all have to leave home. Some of us might. Most of us are asked to bring Jesus into our homes and use them for his kingdom. You know, Jude and I have a very small house. We have thought about moving house quite a few times, and we've concluded that the Lord wants us to stay there. Not really sure why. It might be because I'm so bad at DIY, I would have no time for anything else if I had a large house. Not exactly sure. But whatever size our home is, we are called to offer it to Christ. And studying this passage has once again challenged me about when was the last time I had any unbelieving friends over to my house. 
You know, having gas is a risky business, isn't it? <laughs> this is what I mean by getting in the boat. There's some risk with it, isn't there? Leaving the shore. And even having people over their home is risky. You just ask Peter's wife. You know, we had a family from church over recently. We tried a new recipe. It turned out to be so bad we couldn't serve a bit of it. Like that, that, that was a new one, right? That had never happened before. But even in that disaster, you know, as I think back, the Lord provided for some reason, we had done our weekly grocery shop early that week. I don't know why. And we had enough food to make another dinner very quickly. Right? <laughs> Even in something so simple, he once again showed me, look, I'm with you in this. It mightn't always work very smooth, right? But it's an adventure. It's not an easy thing to open our homes, especially inviting people in that we don't know very well. Is anything scarier nowadays? I, I think social awkwardness it seems to be our culture's greatest fear. But when we do that for him and his kingdom, then he comes as well. That's the point. It's, it's getting in the boat with him. And he is sovereign over all, even our cooking disasters, right? And that's how he has challenged me. I, I can't tell you what it means for you to follow him you see how, pers how personal this is in this passage. He always says, you follow me. And I can't tell you what that looks like for you. This is personal. But Jesus says to each of us here, I want you to follow me. I'll show you what that means. But one thing it does mean is you have to leave the shore. And finally, I just want you to notice this little phrase it says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The professor Gooding, he points out that that phrase in Greek only occurs once more in John chapter 19. After Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished, he laid down his head. Our Lord is asking us to follow him. But he's not asking us to do something that he did not do. He gave up everything. He, he left his true home in heaven. He gave up all home comforts that we can't even imagine. And he spent the last years of his life with no earthly home. That doesn't mean he never enjoyed a bed or hospitality. He very often did, but it means his life was an adventure, following God's will wherever that led. At this stage, it led him across a lake. Eventually, it would lead him to the cross and then back to his true home. And he calls us to follow him, to reject the temptation to make our homes in this world and seek our true home in the next, to keep going through this life with an eye on that day when we will lay down our heads and wake up in our true home. You know, we have this quote from C.S. Lewis Narnia series hanging in our home. This is not a picture of it, by the way, but, but it is there. It says, let us go on and take the adventures that shall fall to us. I don't know which book that comes from in the Narnia series, but it's a great quote, isn't it? Let us go on and take the adventures that shall fall to us. Whenever I look at that quote in my home, I use it to remind myself that life is meant to be an adventure, right? 
We were not made to be overwhelmed by normal everyday life. That, that can be inevitable at times, sometimes even deliberately designed by the Lord at times. But it can also be a sign that we are holding back, unconvinced that the same Lord who called these disciples is calling us, lacking the faith to actually follow him in whatever adventure he wants to lead us on, unsure that he has the power to sustain us in whatever challenges that we'll face. You know, the Lord Jesus has got into the boat to go to the other side and he looks back to see us and, and he invites us to come and follow him and get, get in the boat with him. And it, that will completely depend on whether we trust him enough to do it. So as we study Matthew, let's not shut our Bibles until next Sunday. The place to start is to meditate on all that he has said and done. Like the centurion, because that is how our faith in him will grow. Slowly, day by day, we'll come to realize that this man loves us more than anyone else. And he has greater authority over everything that we will ever face. And we can trust him and we can get in the boat. That's how our faith in him will grow. Let's just pray that that happens. Father, we do thank you for your word and how our Lord Jesus has come to this earth to call us to be disciples, to follow him. Lord, we, we admit, readily admit that we find that really hard. We find it really hard to, to take that step, to do anything with much risk involved at all because because we're not sure. We're not sure what we'll face. We're not sure if we're cope. But Lord, really it comes down to we're not sure that, that he will look after us. So Lord, we pray and ask that you would help our faith to grow. You would help us to, to even meditate upon this gospel of Matthew that, that, he, is, that he has written that we might come to believe in this one that is calling us to follow him, to believe that he loves us more than we can imagine and that he is authority and power over everything in life. There is nothing we could possibly face that he cannot handle. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see these things more clearly and to have the courage to follow him the more fully. And we ask it in his name. Amen.